No, I don't, we don't have the fucking money to pay the royalties for the happy birthday song. I, do you have to pay royalties for the happy birthday song? Yeah, to like two school teachers. So fucking, oh, wow. Uh, hi, I'm Ricardo Deacon. I'm Orla Martinez. And this is The Recommendation Game, the film of the week podcast where we take turns to pick a movie that the other person hasn't seen. And then we watch it separately and meet to discuss it. You're listening to Dublin Digital Radio. Happy Monday or whatever day you're listening to this. I'm assuming it's Monday and you're very punctual. Yes. You don't you don't wait for the podcast really. You don't wait for Orla to get around uploading it in the afternoon. It's like fucking Bill O'Reilly. We're doing this live. Do it live, do it live. Uh, here's a sting to play us out. What does play us out mean? Do it live. Uh, right. Uh, well, happy birthday, Ricardo. Uh, well, it's not technically a birthday because it would have been the 104th episode, but we're in our centenary episode. We are. Right. Uh, this week's film was a special one uh, because it's a hundred episodes, so we yeah. decided to do a movie that pops up about once every two episodes. At I least. would say at least, yes. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly not starring Kevin Costner but like, no but yeah. that will be for the 200th I would imagine yeah. yeah we had to do a marathon of like Mike Farley all his sports movie including <sighs> for the love of the game the movie that we only managed half of it because it was so bad directed yeah. by Sam Raimi I for some reason I don't even remember I don't even remember us doing that but so who the fuck ever went like oh let's make a baseball movie based on the book written by the guy that wrote Gettysburg to to get Sam Raimi from Evil Dead fame to direct it. And, no, uh, really? Those two things are not close in your brain? Yeah, and uh, let's put uh, Kevin Costner and John C. Reilly as the two well, main I mean, actors. Baseball. Enough said. Uh, yeah, no, sadly, Kevin Costner is not in this film, but um, Kevin Costner has already had his movie, though, yeah. to be fair, directed and starred. So, to be fair to per David Venture, he may get messy, you may get, you know, mentions, but this was the only opportunity that he was ever going to have to actually appear and have his work critiqued he by just us. just make more movies. Well, yeah, but at the same time, you know how much time and money and, you know, people's lives go into making these Well, movies. like, at least in the next one, I, I'm sure <laughs> they'll be... Rainbow. In a few oh years' God. time, in like year number six of the podcast or something, I'll be able to pull World War Z two out of my the bag because you I thought that you'd be like <laughs> going straight to the theaters to watch hey, it. Hey, screw you! I always go see the Fincher. So uh, the synopsis of Zodiac is in the late 1960s and 70s. Wait, wait, no, no, that's incorrect. Is it should have been in the 60s and 70s because it's not both the late in the late 60s and 70s. Well, he didn't make himself known until the late 60s, so yeah, but like uh, some Sherry Joe, there Bates, should be a kind of colon or something to separate because if you're saying late 60s and 70s, it implies there was the late 60s and the late 70s. I don't know. I'm the wrong person to be doing this. I find this. it interesting that you're, uh, you're picking fault with that, considering you're reading it off your phone from Google, from the vein. Um, well, like, that's how... The, <laughs> that's where all the fucking... Yeah, but there's paper, happen. so there's a facade. Um, go on. Jesus, I hope that you didn't think that I was fucking writing that dirge. Uh, <laughs> It'd be quite funny if you were, and then every week you were like, oh, it's a terrible one. <laughs> Just to shake things up. Yeah, because I'm that lazy that I can't, like... Well, actually, I am, because they just Google and paste. Uh, Google and paste. Yeah, don't even copy. 
I cut the middle man out. So eventually we'll get to the synopsis. Uh, in the late 60s and 70s, fear grips the city of San Francisco and surrounding areas. Yeah, what the, the entirety of California. In the late 60s and 70s. Fuck you, Vallejo. <laughs> Jesus, let's just... This is like a deconstruction of this synopsis. Uh, in the late 60s and 70s, fear grips the city of San Francisco. A serial killer called Zodiac stalks its resident residents investigators mark ruffalo and reporters jake gillingall and robert downey jr become obsessed with learning the killer's identity and bring him to justice <gasps> dun, dun, dun. meanwhile zodiac claims victim after victim and taunts the authorities with cryptic messages <laughs> ciphers and menacing phone calls <laughs> This is a fucking weird synopsis for this one. It sounds like it's 7 2 or something. <laughs> 14. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's uh, get to the technical shit. So, p- directed by David Fincher, produced by Mike Medavoy, Arnold Messer, Bradley Fisher, James Vanderbilt, and Kion Schaffin. Screenplay by James Vanderbilt, based on Zodiac and Zodiac Unmasked by Robert Graysmith, starring Jake Gillengall. Mark Buffalo Mozzarella. Uh, <laughs> Leave Rob- Mark alone. Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Edwards, aka Goose from Top Gun. Uh, In a Brian- very measured role. Yes. Uh, Brian Cox, Elias Cotius, uh, Donald Logue, uh, John Carroll Lynch, director of Lucky as well. The last performance of uh, Harry mm, Dean Stanton. Yeah. Uh, Only came out this year. Dermot Mulrooney giving a bit of a 90s romantic comedy <laughs> vibe. And Chloe Savini. Uh, music by David Shire. Cinematography by Harry Savides. Uh, edited by... Harris Savides. Harris Savides. Edited by Angus Wall. It's up the wall. Up to the wall. Okay. Right. So, I don't know. Since... You came up with the idea of doing Zodiac, so I suppose I that you should, <clears throat> like, even though it's a double agreement because it doesn't count as your pick and you still uh-huh. have a pick next week. I do. Uh, but since somebody has to come in first, uh, why did you pick, but technically didn't pick Zodiac? <laughs> Jesus. Okay, everyone's clear. Everyone's clear. All right. Um. Fucking details matter. <laughs> even in this fucked up world. You should world. care more about them given your profession. Um, <laughs> that, was a, that was another adventure reference there. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I love this movie. Um, also, it is something that we do mention an awful lot. And when I was thinking, I was like, you know, right, well, fuck, Jesus, we're actually quite rapidly getting to the 100th episode. We should probably do a special episode for it, shouldn't we? Because I feel like it's more of an achievement. It sounds like more of an achievement than, you know, doing it for a year, you know, yeah. because you say that people are like, oh, but do you do it weekly? You know, they don't know. You say 100 episodes, that, yeah. that, that, that sort of very clearly signifies how much fucking time and effort we've put into this whole uh, palava. But, um... Same time, like I was looking uh, in preparation at uh, our back catalogue, let's say, and it's the weird thing of having watched so many movies that it feels like, oh, Jesus, like we've only done these movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny going through them all, like, um, <laughs> like just, 
it's so funny. It's such a it's eclectic is not even a suitable enough word. Like, of course, because it it lends itself to it being eclectic. It'd be very boring if it wasn't. But like, you know, it it is quite funny just the sheer like left turns we take every so often, particularly like when you look at them in sequence. It's yeah. like what? But um uh yeah well i mean like I, th- this movie is just it, it's great and it's funny i was looking it up earlier and i don't think i've ever actually read any reviews for this film um because i was trying to think earlier as well like how i ever found this movie because i remember i bought this in dvd like when it came out um but i have no idea why it was like i must have seen something about it somewhere because back then i would have bought dvds but this is like as and this is before i went to college i bought this um and i remember going into like what was then like a uh, zavi like they're you know what we used to be virgin mega stores yeah yeah and like going in and buying it and, you know probably spending about like 15 pounds or something on a dvd and uh you i know, forget the johnny gold <laughs> you have to go like to the yeah well i mean you could buy things in letter kenny but why would you want to do that um uh, you know, like there was a Zavi and the HMV, Jerry, you know, provided. Um, but uh, <laughs> many a Saturday I spent wandering around Fawside. But um, uh, yeah, and like I remember buying it and like not knowing up, like not really knowing, like prepare, not being prepared for what I was about to watch. <laughs> and then I watched it by myself. Um, I'd just seen Fincher before. Yeah, I'd seen Fight Club. I'd say I'd seen Seven. Um, at that point, that was probably it. Um, yeah, because I'm thinking like even anything along, like basically, obviously, Benjamin Button, all the stuff that came out, that all came out when we were in college. So yeah. I would have seen it as it came out. So anything before that, I don't think so. But um, yeah, so like I, at that point, I wouldn't really have had any awareness of who he was or his films or anything. You know, didn't know anything about the Zodiac Killer. Um, probably knew who Jake Gyllenhaal was and that was about it. And Mark Ruffalo, that was about it. Sat down and watched this and it scared the fucking bejesus out of me I then proceeded to make Eileen and our friend Ronan watch it and it scared the Jesus out of them as well this is a very creepy movie but I was looking up um it had a real profound effect on me and it was probably one of the first kind of like mainstream movies say that I was kind of like really aware of like like modern mainstream movies let's say where I was like oh wait mainstream movies can be smart you know and like delve into the level of detail that this this movie does but I was looking up uh reviews earlier and I found the Roger Ebert one actually Roger Ebert as well because it was 2007 uh, and he uh, <laughs> opposite to his ghost <laughs> like that has been... no but you know what I mean as in like obviously RogerEbert.com is still going but it's just different critics you know oh, why mean? well yeah but you know like because Matt Zoller is eyes to the, like the lead critic like he's fine but like it's it's lost some magic like, yeah definitely and I mean the thing about Roger Ebert if you agree with him or not he was a very like he was a lovely writer and he yeah. really like his reviews were always very pleasant to write to read and uh he dubbed this uh the all the president's men of serial killer movies yeah. uh which I can't really have a better description for it than that and all like the that, president's <laughs> dead men <laughs> don't wear a plaid uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah I mean like Obviously, like all the presidents, man is a masterpiece, um, and we'll not be debating that. But um, and I think you know, it, I don't think it's wrong to put this movie not quite up there with all the presidents, men, obviously. But at the same time, like they're very comparable in a lot of ways. And I think like one of the reasons why all the presidents, men is so good is like it's you know delivering like so much information. Like you think of how many names and 
places and people and things that are going on in that movie like so much information over a long timeline um while maintaining like not just the interest in what's going on but like the suspense like the whole way through it and like you know like all the president's men it's not necessarily a film with like an inconclusive ending because you know what happens at the end it tells you you know even if you didn't know nixon resigns but at the same time like um, he cried like a madman, climbed in a helicopter. <laughs> left. I did write that though, actually. It's like, you know, because it shies away from the drama and like the bombast of, because like that movie literally ends with just typing. It's literally just like the the actual stories and, that, and that's it. Like, and like that's. Telefax machines. Yeah, li- li- literally. It's the, for the filing of the stories. Like, and, um, you know, you, there is no shot of Nixon getting into the helicopter, which I was thinking about. It was like how crazy the 70s were. But, um, you know, it it's like it, and like I've heard people complain about that ending, which I find really hilarious because in my mind I think it's perfect for the movie. But it's a similar thing in how like this is a movie with like no let's say like you know dramatic conclusion because like you know they never find the killer conclusively let's say. But like I was thinking I was thinking about this earlier about how like if Robert Graysmith came along now and wrote this book. Or was like writing about and like researching this. It would probably have ended up being a freaking podcast. Yeah. And <laughs> I was thinking about it and like, like he'd be an annoying presenter. Yeah, exactly. And we'd probably hate him because he is kind of a douche. Like if you ever see him, like there's in- there's interviews with him out there, anyways. But there's uh there's a real, there's a pretty good like making of that was on that DVD that I had that I'm fairly sure is on YouTube. I may have may not have shared it. Oh, I shared good old a- standard death. <laughs> I shared a lot of stuff today. <laughs> um, but uh. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube of like, you know, kind of a like 10, 15 minute making off thing. And he's interviewed in that because obviously like he would have had like a varying amount of input on this because um, it sticks very closely to his book. But um, one of the issues I think like with the last few I've listened to, um, like true crime podcasts, let's say like Atlanta Monster, Up and Vanished, um, to a certain extent Serial as well, is like they, they're not quite able to deal with the large number of like you know, victims, witnesses, information. And like, they're obviously, they're very well made, but I feel like it was the same problem that Serial had. And like, fair enough, because most of these podcasts are doing, even though they're old cold cases most of the time, they're still often doing reporting in real time. So they don't quite have the same level of kind of like, you know, we don't look back or whatever. But at the same time, like, I don't feel like you know they're able to deal with inconclusive endings because like serial the first season has an inconclusive ending and i don't feel like sarah koenig had any fucking control like hold over what they were doing in the last couple of episodes at all and it really really suffered for it i don't think like it's a very very hard thing not just in like true crime like telling any kind of story where there's so much information that needs to be absorbed it's a very difficult thing to be able to do it without like first of all confusing people and second of all keeping you interested because like well like i do think just on a comment on that yeah is that i think it's the the way that they actually did serial uh and other podcasts like that atlanta monster as well mm. that is the difference between let's say uh the staircase but that was not because of distribution it was just the way that the director did it and then uh, making a murder and the jinx yeah is that because they weren't made for uh binge watching or binge listening yeah that they were being released in schedules they weren't finishing the like even though the, probably the first two or three episodes were already edited etc by the time that the first one was released yeah they hadn't finished editing the eighth yeah 
So when you're dealing with inconclusive endings, mm. you have to have an overview of the story and how it plays out. Yeah. No, uh, I know. I, 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 the... I, do, I do know what you mean. I think maybe that's a bit unfair, the inconclusive ending thing. But No, but at the same time, it's like I don't understand why they don't do it. It's not mm. uh, like it's a making a formatting mo- thing. It's, it's strange because like Open Vanish is doing the same thing where they're literally reporting the story right now about a, like this season is a girl and um, it's in um, is it Colorado where that place is. And like she only went missing in like 2015 and they're literally there right now doing it. And it means that like there are some terrible episodes because it's just where they clearly don't quite have any handle on anything. Well, like when when you're doing like an episode that is more direct kind of case Mm. that it is a cold case, but not a cold, cold case, let's Mm. say it's like that's part of maybe the the hook of that podcast because you never know that what's gonna happen not that week. the first season i don't think but yeah i don't it's not a format that i i, I think but like works even, on an overarching thing because you, you compare had, that to something like slow burn yeah but like if you had serial let's say and making a murder mm-hmm. they're both let's say cold cases is that making a murder when they edited the whole thing they, they edited they it already, as one whole yeah. and before releasing because it was going into netflix part 10 had to be edited before you could release part one Mm. because you can binge watch it so because you're doing the whole thing you can see it as a whole and then go okay this part this episode have pacing issues or we have to plant this a little bit better Mm. because when we get to it it didn't actually do it but because serial or even s down they were approaching episode by episode Mm. in the edit that when it comes out it's kind of or maybe they didn't plant enough for the the ending to actually like land the way with the weight that it needs to when you compare those say serial season one to serial season three yeah and like obviously all that like season three is much more coherent because like they've already done the reporting you know what i mean so yeah. it's like rather than they're telling a story week by week but it's a story that they already know where it's going and it's insane that it's more coherent when you're telling mm. 20 stories uh, an episode rather than the one story and yeah but um yeah like i it's really interesting like the whole true crime thing like <clears throat> Because when you think of when this came out, it was in a kind of a middle period between like, you know, in the 90s and there was like a massive like fucking like serial killer movie explosion and like with like Silence of the Lambs and all the subsequent copycats to that genre and like all the Thomas Harris like various knockoffs and like sequels, prequels, you know, all the, the like all the Red Dragon stuff and everything. And like kind of like by the early 90s. Not as good as my hunter. Yeah, well, the original. Not pe- enough shorts. The original and best. Um, <laughs> moving on. Um, uh, yeah, like you think of this when this came out, it was like 2007. We were kind of on the very, very downswing of that of that interest. And uh, it, like when this came out, it sank like a stone. Like this made no money whatsoever. It, it, you know, it was in a really limited release. It was, you know, really depressing. Um, but obviously, like over time, a good movie usually will, have, and especially when it's a big director as well. And he went on to make like bigger movies after this. <clears throat> and you think it's kind of funny, like when you think of like the trajectory of his career when this actually, because in my mind, this is really recent, but it's not at all. Like this, this is you know a good eleven years ago. So. But uh, I think that like over time and also probably like the resort, like the whole true crime wave thing that we're in at the minute, um, it has been reevaluated, which really warms my heart because I've loved this movie for so long. Like, it's always nice when people kind of come along and they're like, oh, yeah, geez, do you remember Zodiac? That was fucking glad. Like, yeah, I know. I've been saying it since I bought that fucking DVD. But um, 
Yeah, like, uh, and I think that probably it's given him the opportunity to like go back to the ser- you know, the serial killer thing and make something like Mindhunter like really yeah. like high, like really high budget Netflix prestige. Like you know, it's a beautifully, beautifully made show, <clears throat> which is again kind of like more about like the psychology of the people chasing the killers than like the killers themselves. But um, yeah, like this, it's just it's such an interesting film about like you know the obsession with with these kinds of cases and why and how people become so obsessed with them like it it kind of like shows the the effect that hap- like of what happens to you whenever you read his book you know what I mean like when you watch yeah. the characters it's the same kind of thing like I remember when I read the book like you you know you end up like becoming so obsessed with like it's the same thing of when you listen to serial or anything you end up on forums you end up like looking at documents you end up like it's so it's so easy to get sucked into this so all-consuming, almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, like we'll get we'll get to like performances and stuff. Um, I do want to just you know give a shout out to the to the serious creepiness of this film. Like this film freaks me out more than anything. And <clears throat> I was thinking about this last night, and I mean this speaks to kind of the pacing of it as well, and the way he wa- kind of intertwines the different stories and everything, and how. Like, you know, the actual serial killerness, the the you know, the grisly element of this is out of the way very, very quickly. And you end up like, you know, falling into the act you know, the uh, investigation of the case, etc. But like for me, the scariest part of the whole film is Gyllenhaal's sort of yeah. third at the end. <clears throat> um there's something in his like he has the wide eyed it's like mania but innocence, like and you know, nothing scares me more than like just like his interactions with Dave Toskey and like just like lines like you know no Dave they're before other calls you know and like they're just sitting on a park bench and it f- I, something about the the craziness in his eyes the, the, the no, like you know that he will not stop and like the danger that he is in and like the it, it kind of gives you more of like the looming overness of like these kinds of cases than anything else and like you know then obviously like you know <laughs> door to door that's less than 50 yards is that true i've walked it <laughs> it's like or, you know or it's like oh god like every so often like in at like six in the morning i'll be getting up and going to work and the lines it's Arthur Lee Allen will come into my head i swear to god i'll be freaked out for the entire day like you know and obviously like we can talk about the basement scene which you know is particularly terrifying but, yeah i mean that is it's just it's so well done and like that does go back to performances and how everybody, barring one person who we'll get to, um, is just, I mean, it's, it's there a lot of them, they're, they're kind of Fincher players. You RTJ. Know. Yeah, well, we'll get to him. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're Fincher players. There's a lot of very familiar faces here and they're all, it's just the weight that these people lend to it. Like, I mean, Brian Cox, like it's, you know, everyone is really playing at their, their top game here. And obviously Dylan Hall is great, but, um, yeah, I I love this movie. Um, we can talk a bit about like the setting and the sense of place and time and everything in this particular era in America. But uh, yeah, Ricardo, anything to add? <laughs> Jesus, yeah, this episode is gonna end up as long as the fucking movie if we keep at this place. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, like uh, just a few notes which are very strange. On uh, like obviously it's different to prepare for an episode that we both seen the movie and like what we are gonna discuss etc. And I was thinking like about my introduction to Fincher. Yeah. And I have probably the weirdest introduction to Fincher. Like Benjamin Button. <laughs> no, no, no. 
like obviously not that was like years into college but like i saw zodiac in the cinema when my brother like oh, when it came out it was so good and scream one the big fella in view where it used to be oh my God, like it was so, the biggest screen in ireland at the time it was so like pre imax whatever oh, so scary. and i think there was only like six of us in the entire screen oh. like it was quite like it was quite looking forward Just, to it as well before part was uh, trailers that i'd seen but mm. also i knew fincher like i had seen every fincher movie before uh coming to watch this but um, the first two Fincher movies that I watched, like I would also watched them before I learned about directors and stuff mm. like that. It was kind of the it just happened that uh, I gravitated towards his work, and uh, yeah, like uh, I the first film that I watched of Fincher's was during an Alien marathon. It was Alien Three. Oh no! Which is like, I think that like it's uh, the misunderstood baby of the uh, Alien franchise. It's yeah. better than anything that really Scott has done like well, uh, since, on the franchise yes. with Prometheus well, and Jesus, yeah. And it's certainly better than Alien Resurrection, but like from the director of Amelie, like who the fuck? <laughs> like, oh yeah. Speaking of directors, weirdly chosen directors. Um, Ron Perlman nearly says that movie, but. <laughs> Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, and Brad Dorif as well, but being Brad Dorif, uh, so Alien Three was my introduction to it, and well, like uh, I had seen uh, the music video for George Michael's Faith before, <laughs> which is a very bad music video. Uh, I think of the time though. Yes, uh, like as well, it's hilarious because he steals from <laughs> Sam Peckinpah's video for Julian Lennon, which is like probably I'm the only person there. Has yeah, referred to that. I would imagine so, but if you ever meet him, do say that. I feel like he would appreciate it, and then he'd call you a pervert. Then I watch Alien Three. My following film that I watched of Fincher was The Game, uh, with Michael Douglas <laughs> Which and Sean Penn. I literally completely forgot existed. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, it also a film that was like heavily influenced game night. Panic Room. Sorry, I've completely forgotten about Panic Room. Panic Room was probably the first one I ever saw because that whenever that would have come out on like RT eventually, that would have been the first one I saw. Yeah, like I I, that was one of the ones that I realized that was the same director because he uses the same like following the phone lines or whatever Mm. that he does in Fight Club with the terrible CGI that hasn't aged well at all. No. And it's uh, hilarious uh, just to mention Fight Club, but uh, how it was... Um, co-opted by super male people like super male people <laughs> like uh, toxic masculine fuckers and despite not understanding what yeah, the fuck or the film were like, like. It, 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 <laughs> like I think Chuck Pandas Chuck is gay as well like uh, if I don't remember if I remember Chuck correctly Palenic, um, yeah I think he might be, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, I think that it's like criticism of like yeah, uh, really quite blatant. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like uh, like the 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 one moment uh, uh, I'd fight resonate, William Shatner. Uh, it's when he says I'd fight my dad, and I was like, I know what you feel, man. Lincoln, el Papa, yeah. Uh, but uh, and then I watched Zodiac, so it's kind of like because I I knew everything of his work I knew kind of what to expect mm. and also because I knew it was Fincher it's not like other directors that I only when I checked the MDB page it's like oh holy shit yeah, I've well, seen you kind of know once you've seen a few of them particularly if you've seen Fight Club in 7 I think you're kind of like oh and I had seen like all the President's Men for the first time about like two months before this came out uh, but uh, yeah uh, with Zodiac like 
I for one, I do think that the guy that plays uh, Arthur Leal and then uh, what's his name again, uh, fucking oh, John Carroll Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, uh, I, I, he does such a good job in this movie to be. He's ruined and everything else. Oh uh, yeah, like every time that I see him in fucking Fargo, and it's like, I know. Oh, oh, would you oh like a breakfast, God. Margie? It's oh like, don't God. accept it. <laughs> no, literally, like we were because we watched that like last time I was home, we watched it, and I was literally just like, oh my God, because I remember the first time I saw Fargo, and I was definitely like, no. And just picture him like uh, driving around uh, empty roads, uh, like uh, <laughs> detaching back wheels out of cars. Like, uh, um, you know, he didn't do that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, because he that guy like he because he's such clearly a lovely guy. But like, you know, he turns up in like crazy stupid love as like the dad. And I'm just like, because ah, 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 there's like a scene in that movie when they're all having like the barbecue. And yeah. It's a big funny scene where everyone ends up in a fight and like, you know, Kevin Bacon's there and blah, blah, blah. But it takes on such a dark tone yeah. because he's Arthur Lee Allen. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, th- this watch. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. The knives. Uh, I was just killing a chicken. <laughs> favorite scenes like the way that whole thing plays out is the, just fab the bit that kills me is Elias Cotillas double take that is like what what what, 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 what? <laughs> he, he's literally like, like what? <laughs> it's just, oh it's the fact that he... and Goose is uh, next to him like alive somehow <laughs> I just oh just everything about like you know the the them going like getting there you know what I love about you watched the director's cut did you yes of um course. yeah so because like in the in the theatrical cut like there's well one good thing about the uh, theatrical cut that we will get to is there is slightly less Robert Downey Jr. in it but um you miss out like some of the 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 scenes of um them trying to get the warrants yeah. or prepping before they go to interview him they're not in the theatrical cut yeah. and I think they're really important because otherwise you don't quite understand why people were so obsessed with Arthur Leon yeah. but um the whole build up to that scene and then like you know oh he's going to take point whatever and like you know just the the building of excitement and how the three of them deal with it you know what i mean it's like molinux is just like and after watching like like, uh, so many like a film so many times i start noticing little things and i like the the little walk that the manager does the the manager when he closes the door Mm. it's like he knows you know even though they're like oh i'm just here to ask questions but Mm. street detectives and the way that he closes the door and walks he's away, pausing, he's it's looking kind over, of like, yeah. I, I, I know what the, cra- I don't know what he did, but he, like, I know that he's this not a witness to something. Yeah, he's a suspect. Yeah. And, uh, three, three off, you know, like three detectives as well. They're yeah. like three officers, you know, or like an officer and detective. It's like, it's three detectives. And I, I do like, uh, like, Elias Cotillas is a, a, an actor that pops in and out of things that, mm. like, never, like, one of those, like, old-fashioned, like, uh, <sighs> character Jeez. actors that, uh, like, even Thin Red Line and stuff that is like, you're not, like, fucking Nick Nolte, you're not tough in the fiber, Staros. He's, like, the, the captain that is refusing to attack the hill because oh. his men are dying. And then Nick Nolte shows up and it was just, like, in the lull of a battle. Like the, that entire movie, people get their tiny one little moment in the yeah. sun and then moving on to the next section, new actors. Um. <laughs> and um, yeah, half of them in the cutting floor. <laughs> yeah, Viggo Mortensen, who? Uh, <laughs> that uh, was my big break, man. Uh, Martin Sheen, who? What? Uh, yeah, but John Travolta's fucking mustache makes it in. <laughs> Um, kind of cut a mustache but yeah this movie I, I really really did enjoy it the first time that I watched it I think that it was the really first movie that I truly enjoyed like digital photography mm. in, in, in a big way and also it's uh, one of those like weird 
transition period to my life that was like just right before college mm. when I was already prepping to be in film school. So I was thinking about You're filmmaking. You were up all everything, yeah. Yeah, and I was like trying to understand what I like things. So in a way, I think that it, it has like such a special place in my heart also because it, it, it reminds me of a, a time mm. uh, and place much like the way that they, they uh, Fincher is able to depict the, the, the 60s and 70s so vividly. Um, I do, do find it depressing watching it now to see like how it felt like an alp in his career. Mm. That everything before and after has been like that he's in a slow and steady decline until he peaked. Yeah. But um, like even like well Benjamin Button is terrible. Yeah, let's not talk about uh, that. <laughs> Uh, go with the dragon to two it's 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 better than the original because he's a better director yeah but But the source material is still just it's like pulpy thriller grandness you know they're well done books they're like you know you want more you want more but it's not a rewatchable movie like in any scenario also fucking what's his name clearly doesn't want to be there i don't think he had any fun like working with david fincher and obviously a lot of people don't i think there's some actors like jake gyllenhaal who just sucked it up because he's a madman anyways but like i I don't think that um i forgot his name fucking bond what's his name Daniel Craig? Yeah, I don't think Daniel Craig liked that experience at all. And um, also being in the cold and, you know, for some reason still having his English accent. Though. Or on CGI now, no. Hmm? Or on CGI now, they have the, like, he complains <laughs> uh, about the cold in Sweden, but they shot it in spring because they weren't, like, mental enough to... The, before we start talking about our DJ, uh, <laughs> because I know that all roads lead to our DJ, is oh. that... This case also I noticed little things about like that I didn't notice as a teenager that like it's very subtle but on point like the guy and the girl at the at the park when they get stabbed mm-hmm. that the girl starts like panicking before the guy and it made me go like yeah because girls have a sense more of danger and what she's immediately like, more concerned thing. than he is though, but you know in a way that is like she knows exactly because she knows when somebody's not acting the right way mm-hmm. you know it's the kind of thing that even when like so many like not only on twitter in real life that it's like oh this weird shit happened to like girl kind of thing mm. it's so more subtle because if i'm gonna get mugged and there's somebody like walking behind me to mug me it's so obvious in a way that that's gonna go on because it's like an objective or whatever and usually it's not as uh premeditated let's say mm. well if uh if it is like this weird shit that happened to women it's like a lot subtler you know it's like the person is vibe. making their mind as well what to vibe. do there's a yeah. vibe and it's really creepy and the main place that you find it is public transport yeah <laughs> and it's really creepy um yeah like that that is actually kind of interesting like we it was funny that me and Annie were watching it last night and we we're talking about that scene and how like he, like your man and, and like his reaction and it was like it's so interesting like even it's funny even like from darlene like the opening scene and and like we were watching Darlene was like why don't you just drive away and it's just like but like she's afraid of him, but she doesn't think that he's gonna shoot them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like 
like Darlene is so because Darlene is like kind of the root of the whole thing really because like we know that he knew her etc and like in the book she's a very big part of the book and like there's much more delve into like um like all her family members and everything and like how they found out and exactly like she's a very odd character like there were a lot of people in her life and you know like you're very popular as they say they kind of glance over and in the film because they don't time delve into Darlene let's say but it's yeah it's really really interesting that's the the other the the only criticism I really have in this movie is that like uh, it is it could have been longer in the sense of that it doesn't really uh, because uh, the Trotsky the detective like mm. it, it comes across like he's doing because every life matters mm. like he never gave up on the case even though there's like 200 murders in San Francisco a year mm. because those seven people still matter and they deserve justice yeah rather than Gray Smith's obsession of catching the killer yeah and I think that it's two very different things yeah, yeah. it's a very like Gray Smith is doing it because it's a fucking puzzle mm. Well, like Totsky's like doing puzzles. it. I like puzzles. I like solving things. And Totsky's doing it because he's uh, like a true, I am a cop. Yeah, like he's mm. like it remind me of like fucking McNulty. It's like I am police. It's yeah. not. It's like I'm not police. cop. It's like good police. Yeah. Uh, well, that's it. I mean, it's it's like there's a reason why. Like you know, you think of like oh, like Bullet is based on them or whatever, and he advises like Clint Eastwood and stuff. And it's like that's not it's Bullet. Not, that's a fucking not, uh, Dirty Harry. No, but Bullet is based on him. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a line in the film where, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, well, um, <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal's like, he wears his guns like bullets. <laughs> and Robert Downey Jr. goes, oh, yeah, uh, Steve McQueen got that from him. Oh, <laughs> like, okay. no, no, that's, he was, uh, well, one of the inspirations for him, let's say. But, um, like, you know, these real, like, manly men and, like, you know, all the, those movies are about, like, car chases and drama and everything. But, like, at the end of the day, like, that's not those are like the set pieces yeah. of a career rather than like this was the real like actual police work of, like, like seeing it, how much time elapses between like breaks is yeah. you know and I do like how uh, they cast Ruffalo that is like undercuts all the Dirty Harry mm. bullet kind of thing that is a very sensitive performance more than anything he's so 70s looking yeah. as well that's the thing is that like it's not like I mean, as much as I like someone like Chris Pine or whatever yeah. like he doesn't do sev- he doesn't look he's not 70s you know as good as he is at doing a young William Shatner like no I, I don't I don't I don't buy someone like that whereas like there's something about Ruffalo and the fact that he's got the kind of like the like you know men of that time were not like buff in the way that men are now like you know it was a very it was a, it was a meat there was a meatiness to them there's a bit of flab there yeah you know but he he wear like the, the trousers and everything and like you it, have to like fill out those vests oh you know? yeah like, oh yeah but um, yeah, and like I just oh, I love like the their relationship as well. Like and how they like the, there's all these little things that they add to his character that should be really annoying, but aren't. Whereas when you have the whole like drinking drug thing with Robert Downey Jr., they're really annoying because it's Robert Downey Jr. Whereas Mark Ruffalo was able to like have things like the animal crackers, and it's not annoying. It's like you know, well, like it was annoying when he takes the fucking tomatoes out of BLT. Like well, he just yeah. fucking eat a BL then. It's not a BL. Like that's no, that's not a sandwich. Oh, let's um, have bacon and lettuce sandwich. <laughs> Good God, <laughs> this is a civilized. But he eats it, and there's like nothing else left in it because he's like, Whoa. and you're like, what the fuck is and wrong with you? And the dirtiest looking chips ever. As yeah. Well. <laughs> it's like they do not eat well although the burger he has looks lovely all I could think though when I was watching it last night I was like think of how many bites of burger he must have had to have yeah. when you think about it like are you thinking about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um let me visit the vomitarium yeah exactly mm. but uh 
Yeah, uh, <coughs> we should get to our DJ because okay. he's awful. Um, no, okay. The thing about the thing about Rumble Darian Jr. is that this is one of the few things where he's not quite as irritating as I normally find him. I think because he's being reined in to a certain extent by not just Fincher, but also all the amazing people who are around him. So despite the fact that, you know, Paul Avery was a very loud, big character. He was that guy. But like Robert Downey Jr. is still playing himself. Like, And it it starts to grate very quickly. I I used to think that. But on this rewatch... I actually really liked him in it because it was the first time that I realized that it's not that he's being reined in. It's that this is like pre-Iron Man. Oh, this, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is that this is like his first like major movie since he came out of rehab. Iron so Man th- was what, 2008? So, so this is a year before. Yeah. So it's before like the renaissance of uh, Downey Jr. Mm. So in a... And you can tell very much in the performance that he's digging into uh, his addiction to alcohol and stuff, and we like the like that he's playing himself, mm. but he's playing himself as the drunk, as in like like not the version of himself that now he plays that is like oh the cool chatty like it's not he's fucking Tony Stark. Stark and everything yeah. yeah. It's uh, like fucking the judge with Robert Duvall, like <laughs> quipping all over Don't the place. Don't worry, Tony Stark is here. But like oh, in this quipping. is that he's playing himself, but like as in in a raw way, in the way that like mm. every so often they like when Mark Remote says that like the person that should have played the Chris Christopher some part in The Star is Born should have been Elvis. Mm. Which would have been amazing because like Elvis was already a good actor. Mm. But you have somebody play exactly that kind of thing, and I think that that's why Fincher got Downey Jr. Mm. because it's the somebody that could do the loud mouth, to but it's tap into it. as realistic. The, the and I think as well the more the like I think I, uh, think I just don't like him. But in general, I don't like him, and I don't like his character in this. But I think mm. it's part as well of the like part of the intention mm. that it's like somebody that is charismatic enough to get like Jen Gillow even to try to give him the second chance in the boat like so you know what I mean but somebody that is so shitty as a person that you know like it really like made me understand also how much like watching it this time how much of it is intentional mm. even that I was like oh he's so fucking annoying and then how people won't even fucking want to be in the same plane as him but exactly in the same feeling that I'm having not in the fucking Frank Gretchen oh, yeah. kind no, of... No, he is supposed to be annoying. I like, but it's the fact that it's him that I just can't... I can't... I, can't, I mean, the thing is that it doesn't ruin the film for me because, like, he is kind of entertaining, as yeah. irritating as he is. But I think that, like, the one scene that's, like, one too many is, like, whenever he goes and he, like, opens the car and all the bottles fall out and he's just like... And it's like, oh, Paul, it's 11 a.m. That reminded me of that scene in the... Fucking uh, Leningrad cowboys that the <laughs> the managers just drinking beers Only for, you. for the entire road trip. The manager of the band is drinking beers and throwing them at people in the back seat. <laughs> and then somebody's going to like he's going to get off the the car to fill up the the car in the, <laughs> and cans literally like if they were driving at waist height, <laughs> like completely realistic cartoon kind of thing. But it's so funny. 
But think think that Graysmith like seems to be that kind of character as well. Like not that I've heard specific, but like you know. <laughs> but I think the unintended <laughs> consequence of adapting a book that you fucking wrote as well and you incenter yourself into the mm. central character kind of thing that he's not it's not like fucking uh, in cold blood that it's uh, yeah you're not the cold observer yeah yeah it's not like fucking Ca- like capote versus uh in cold blood yeah that like that sometimes like the making up of the cr- true crime novel is as interesting as the true crime novel itself yeah but like Graysmith could have very well just written an argument for the case. Well, that's what the book is. Yeah, but like he he inserts himself in the book as well. Like well, it's like I, yeah. I'm interviewing this person or whatever. Yeah. It's not like in the you know it's not. But the thing like to be fair, like fucking what's his name, like basically created an entire new genre around in Cold yeah. Blood. You know what I mean? It's a very different style. No, but what I'm saying is like it, I'm not complaining about it. Mm. It's just that what happens is that it when says it gets a lot portrayed, about a character. Not only that, it's that when it gets portrayed on screen is that you have no control. You can control the facts, but you can't control the way that the thing is portrayed. Mm. And I think that Gyllenhaal, especially in the date scene, is that he's like one bad turn away or one too many drinks away of becoming somebody like the Zodiac. Like he's as scary as Arthur Lee Allen because anybody that is that obsessed with like a singular thing has usually another thing working in the background. Mm. They kind of use your obsession to block. There is a through line there between um, like this movie and something like Nightcrawler. Yeah. You know what I mean? And those those characters like 100%. Because even if you look at like his character, Nightcrawler is like, you know, total, total creep or whatever. But there's also a weird, a, like an asocial kind of innocence yeah. about that character as well. But at the same time, like incredibly And also dark. like an upstart kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like... Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, scrappy kind of characters. Yeah. And he plays them very well. But um, yeah, no, 100%. And like the thing is, I remember the first time I watched that, I didn't get that at all. You're kind of like, because he is sort of the protagonist and Dick Gyllenhaal and you're like, oh, you know, whatever. But like you watch it now and you're like, it's fucked up. Even like you know, when uh, she's going she... on the date with him, I'm like, leave, go away. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. no. Red but, flag, red flag, the fact red that flag. That, like she gets the best, like one of the fucking best lines of the film. It's like, oh, it's just the date that never ended. And you're like, oh. <laughs> so so cold yeah, but so it, accurate like but in the movie like she so settles she clearly yeah. spent in so many like ultra macho men dates or whatever What's or weirdos because it's 60 san he, francisco he could be worse basically is what that is there <laughs> like but my favorite scene in the movie is when the two cops are like oh yeah we actually i think we saw somebody that matches that description oh. and then it's like at the time uh the the, the apo was like uh, that the person was a black man yeah so like, why didn't you stop him he's looking like you would have been covered in blood at the time yeah and, and your like, man's just like oh. and then it's like the, did also you stop the, him like, did you talk to him it gets to the 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 bit of like ruffalo being good police that is he's not offended because they didn't catch the zodiac it's just sloppy work yeah bad procedure you know yeah and it's such a basic thing like that he's just following the rules Mm. it's like you're patrolling it's not even that you're like on a manhunt Mm. you're patrolling to see if there's anything dodgy you see somebody dodgy around (laughs) the fucking thing you just talk to the person like you don't even one second not talking about fucking like strip search kind of police kind of brutality kind of shit you know like yeah um yeah. Like, what was your favorite scene um 
it's either the scene where they first interview him or else it's the scene in the diner at the end where yeah. Mark Ruffalo and Jake Gyllenhaal, Jake Gyllenhaal like lays out all this evidence and at the end of the day Mark Ruffalo is just like yeah but the, we, we you can't you can't go to trial with us you know what I mean he's just yeah. like I'm not asking you as a cop and he's like but I am a cop you know and it's like it's just oh it's so well played between the two of them and like just laying out all the information and the fact that he's like you know <laughs> I don't know I lived in his mother's basement on Fresno Street <laughs> it's like so so cool I play around with salt shakers oh, and uh... it's the fact that he went there and like it's it's the sheer level of obsession that the man has like it's oh god at the same time it's like it's hardly like a stretch it's not like I'd be more like if he was covering somebody in New Zealand and well, yeah, okay. Oh, so Ricardo, uh, what was your favorite thing? Robert Downey Jr. I mean, uh, <laughs> um, well, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I like the the scene with uh, Adam Gold. Is it Adam Goldberg? I think it's uh, Adam Goldberg. Yeah. The, Good to meet you. Yeah. Well, he went to the, the, the pastures of a. Dare to dream, eh, Robert? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I I love him so much. Like, it's like, such a small role. He's so good at like saving Private Ryan and shit like that. But my favorite role of his is as I just a, want to dance. Chandler's Chandler's housemate and friends that like Jesus, that. the fucking he has like this goldfish. Mm. Uh, he's obsessed with the goldfish and Chandler kills it by mistake. So he puts like plastic goldfishes and your man is like, oh, uh, they're not, they're like, he thinks that the goldfish died or whatever. The goldfish had a name and he starts screaming like, the, oh, it's demented performance. Like the, that kind of like thing that friends used to do. That if you took the laugh track out, it's so creepy. Like half a Ross. Like if you take oh, yeah. the laugh track of Ross Geller. He's a total weird, creep. Yeah. But uh, uh, Arthur Lee Allen probably had a laugh track playing in his head as he was fucking killing chickens. Yeah. Uh, but like uh, favorite thing, I think is like the how it builds the case for Arthur Lee Allen, but also leaving the door open to the fact that there, it's like everybody's guilt, uh, innocent until proven guilty. Mm. And I think again that it was a good decision that uh, to make the movie after Lee Allen died, mm. because uh, otherwise it would have been uh, very, um, you know. Even though the evidence points that way, there's also evidence that doesn't point that way mm. that it's hard to explain kind of thing that there's, only yeah, like a trial would have yeah worked uh, through all that. Yeah. yeah, and like so much of that wouldn't have been admissible and yeah, it would have been a complete disaster of a trial. What about you, Orla? Um, probably that this stands up to repeat viewings. And I can attest yeah. to that because I've seen this movie stupid amount of times. But like we've seen this after nights out. Oh it, yeah, completely we, drunk. we would literally throw it on. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah, it, it it just it really does, and like oh, even just watching it yesterday, and like I was like, oh god, take notes, and I, in the back of my head, I was like, oh god, I'm not gonna watch this now and be like, oh dear, this is not as good as I remember. But it really held up. I was like, yeah. To be honest, I was like so tired the day that I started watching it. I started watching it like at fucking nine o'clock as well. It was three hours long. And uh, because I had to go and get the phone, like my other phone crapped out. So like the day that I had scheduled to watch the movie. And I was like half tempted because I was already like sleepy at nine o'clock. So tempted to just like, oh, bullshit my way through it. Like I've seen it so many times that I'd be able to do it. But like fucking... 10 minutes in, I was like, fucking Arthur Lee Allen. Like, it, oh, it 
doesn't feel as long as it is and i would watch a longer version of it like so many bits like seem like complete distractions that it's like it's just good because it shows the insanity of it all like the Mm. whole brian cox bit like it's just so funny take care of yourself sam oh i love that whenever they go to his house at christmas like that's another brilliant the story is the letter (laughs) the story is the letter toddy um i love that like whenever he goes to talk that's another freaky scene like whenever he goes to talk to the um to, to brian cox and he's waiting and like the 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 housekeeper's there and um she, he's like oh cookies i've only been here two hours and uh, she's like oh i spoke with him and it's like so nonchalant and he's like what i had to kill the day of my birthday <laughs> it was his birthday <sighs> anyways uh what did lisa think i reckon that it probably is that it doesn't um do enough for to build a person on the people that died. Mm. Even like I was yeah, that yesterday. Uh like with Darlene and stuff like that. That like they even like it's so interesting that the guy that survived the uh, Michael and the Joe. Yeah. That when that he decides not being part of it. It's mm. like and there's no real like they just find him and he's like fucking he Your had man. a brother as well. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. Like, I think he had a brother, and they were both kind of obsessed with Darlene. Yeah. Like, there was a whole. Yeah, I think they were about. He was just. No, the guy that survived the the, uh, oh, the killing in the, oh, in the park, yeah, that whatever. guy as well. Yeah. It 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 weighs on uh, in uh, Graysmith's side over Mark Ruffalo's character. That I think that uh, he's far more interesting. Yeah. Uh, even his relationship you know is more interesting like his yeah like and his relationship with his partner and yeah like you'd watch a whole movie of just Mark Ruffalo talking about Goose in a completely different tangent that would probably get cut out uh, for years I, uh, of watching uh, Pirates of the Caribbean I thought the the name Bootstrap Bill was actually Goose Fat Bill and I was like what an interesting part <laughs> they say Bootstrap about 50 times yeah but my head was like goose fat oh my god (laughs) because they used to cook a lot with goose fat you know why they call bootstrap bootstrap (laughs) oh my god goose fat goose fat fucking idiot (laughs) is that just because you couldn't understand like faux british accents or what well like i was like when the first one came out like i'd been here only a year so like it's give me some like uh, i kind of want to watch pirates now. what was your least favorite thing Actually, this movie came out uh, during uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 3 and uh, uh, fucking uh, when uh, Pirates 3 came out, the Marco Mode mentions Zodiac in the Pirates of the Caribbean 3. Because it's in one of 3. his rants. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, go see Zodiac instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually was thinking about that earlier and I couldn't remember what review it was because I remember it was a rant. Uh, that's hilarious. It's one of his very famous Pirates of the Caribbean rants. Yeah, there um, is like, at world's end. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, my what's your least favorite Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, related yeah, uh, crime? It's Robert Downey Jr. It's just I know I get where you're coming from, but I'm never gonna get over the fact that it's Robert Downey Jr. playing Robert Downey Jr. Even though he's like, you know, I think this is a better performance than uh, you know, like anything else he's ever done. But at the same time, no, I think in... that he's absolutely amazing, and Alec McBeal on. I already the, watched that though. And even though the movie itself isn't great, he's absolutely perfect as Chaplin. Uh. And uh, I do love his cameo in uh, Back to School, starring Ronnie Dangerfield. 
Well, I do obviously love um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but he's just playing himself again. And But it works in that film. In this, it's a bit sort of like... But there we are. Um, yeah, well, with Vulcan, when he used to look like a real person. <laughs> <laughs> Definition of the word stupid, which you fucking are. Uh, anyways, that was Zodiac. That was our 100th episode, Ricardo. For the 200th, we have to watch fucking uh, Bad Lieutenant Protocol in New Orleans for balance. Cool. Um, <laughs> sure. Uh, see you then. Uh, <laughs> we'll do no episodes in between. Um, you know, uh, if you have not ever seen Zodiac, um, shame on you. Uh, it's not a hard thing to seek out. Um, it's a good three hours. It's two hours and 45 minutes. It's not actually three hours long. Yeah, but between piss breaks and whatever. Yeah, but you will not notice it. It's brilliant. And the thing is, I've had so many... (laughs) Yeah, obviously. (laughs) The Hitchcock rule. Uh, It's a 3P picture. Um, I've heard so many people describe this as like slow and boring. And I never liked those people. Um, (laughs) Because I just... I I mean I I understand at the same time that like if you're if you're looking for something like seven or you know like you say the word thrillers it kind of gives you a certain you know image in your mind but I do think this is a particularly creepy movie and if you stick with it it's very rewarding. I think also that it's the weird thing about the you realize a lot about the group that you hang out with. Uh, I didn't realize that it was a failure in the box office because everybody I knew had watched Zodiac. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like, oh, it must have made a killing in cinema. No, uh, but it's fine because it's it's being rediscovered. There's plenty of cinema essays on it now. Much like weirdly enough, Five Hundred Days of Summer is suddenly getting its due, which I find quite entertaining. Anyways, that was Zodiac. Definitely not Ireland. Ricardo. Um, Where can they find us for our 101st episode? You can find us uh, by sending us letters to the San Francisco Chronicle. (laughs) uh, In blue ink, please. Double posted. And with the fucking uh, engravings on your criticism. Uh, Engraving, I don't know. You did call him a latent homosexual on more than one occasion. Yeah, showing its time period well. uh, yeah you can find us on the recommendation game facebook page you can find us at the rec game on twitter to recommendation game at gmail.com you can find our back catalog of a hundred episodes in the Dublin digital radio Mixcloud and soundcloud you can find us on itunes and other podcast apps of your choice and you can catch us every Monday, 11 to 12, on Dublin Digital Radio. And special, special, special announcement. You can also find us in our one-off special edition, collector's edition zine that we will be bringing out next week that you can get in hard copy and probably digital copy, just depending on what happens. But uh, it will have con- contributions from some of our uh, most prolific guests uh, and it'll be full of fun, podcasty, filmy, recommendation gamey things. And uh, yeah, so look out for that. It will eventually appear. And uh, to keep in uh, uh, in the fashion uh, and tradition of this podcast, I did the bare minimum in design. <laughs> and Orla did all the work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so next week's movie is chosen by Orla. I'm doing it. I picked a romantic comedy. I have picked a Netflix movie. I have picked a teen drama. I don't care if you hate it. Uh, I picked To All the Boys I've Loved Before, which is a very recent release. Quite possibly one of our quickest turnarounds from release to 
Did the fucking Willie ne- is that based on the Willie Nelson song? Twelve the girls obviously. I love yes. with, with Julio with, Iglesias. With Beto O'Rourke obviously on guitar as well. Um Well Julio Iglesias does the, the original kind of thing. That it, like, it's like to all the girls I left before. <laughs> and he's through the wall. Um, this is the zodiac speaking. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I was ordered a movie list. Ah! That's the sound of my headache. <laughs> Thanks for listening.